On this episode of Tap Out Talk, we're getting the royal treatment. All right, welcome everybody. And this is the Stone Cold Steve Austin Broken Skull Sessions here on Tap Out Talk. And we are going to be covering episode eight with the royal treatment and it takes a king to know a king, and the one, the only, Jerry the King Lawler. If you're new to the channel, like, comment, do something to help me out, greatly appreciate it. But without further ado, remember how this works. This is the podcast of the podcast. If you don't want to spend an hour and a half to two hours watching the actual Broken Skull Sessions, come on over here, and I'm going to give you all the highlights and delights of what happened on this episode. So let's dig in. All right, so we start out here with a standard opening and greeting, as Austin usually does with most of his guests. Um, he welcomes, welcomes us to the Broken Skull Sessions, and his guest today, again, of course, is Jerry, the King Lawler. Uh, Jerry jokes and wonders, you know, overall how long it would take Austin to ask him to be on the show. And he kind of joked around and said, man, it took him long enough, and we're only eight episodes in. Um, Lawler is celebrating 50 years in the business and they mentioned that this has been this year has been very different than most. Austin asked Lawler if he can imagine being in the shoes of the current stars dealing with no crowd. Uh, this was taken during the time during the pandemic, so the superstars had a little bit different approach to their art. Lawler um, can only compare it to doing voiceover commentary and to do some of the earlier roles when they would just be in studio. Lawler takes his hat off to the guys and gals. Because the wrestling without a crowd is like five times harder because you don't have that emotion to play off of. Lawler and Austin both laugh about wrestling in front of nearly empty houses when they started. They kind of make that joke of, you know, abandoned high schools, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, you know, they make a very good point during the pandemic times. I did say that would be hard because, you know, you would be having a hard time gauging the crowd's reactions. And I know a lot of those great superstars are really good at playing to the crowd. Let's move on. All right, from here, we get into a little bit of a Terry Funk versus Jerry Lawler talk. Austin switches a little bit here, and he says um, about Funk and Lawler, and he wants to bring that up in their famous empty arena match, which was a great transition, talking about just wrestling in an empty arena. Lawler talks about the setup with Funk complaining that he couldn't get a fair shake in Memphis because everyone loved Lawler, including the fans, the police, and even the referees. They show clips from the match. Um, up on the Austin Tron, and Lawler and Austin watch, and they kind of mark out over it a little bit. It's fantastic stuff. Lawler puts over Funk, and he doesn't remember if they talked about anything before the match or if it was just improvised, but that he did remember enjoying working with them. Uh, we get finished with Funk getting a piece of wood kicked in the back of his face, and then the fantastic sell of him losing his eye. They discuss how Funk was a little different and kind of an odd guy, uh, you just had to watch out for what he would do in the ring. Lawler mentions it was unusual, and um, he gave him a weird feeling having no fans, you know, kind of in that area. Austin jokes that you won't get rich working a bunch of empty arena matches. They did draw a ton of money in Florida um, off the match as it was shown down there by Dory Funk. Um, next, they discuss a little bit of uh, bleeding, and Lawler brings up that they had the same mat in Memphis forever, and it never dawned on them to really clean it. Ugh, gross. <laughs> so Lawler uh, saw people bleeding, and he wanted to try it, and he tried it in this, in, um, it 
became kind of a staple in Memphis and, you know, bleeding and getting color, as they call it in the industry. He admits that he's never liked it and never felt comfortable really doing it, but he also wasn't much of a bleeder, so it just didn't work well for him or his moniker. We then kind of transition a little bit into the next category, which is personal hobbies. And I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but um, Jerry Lawler was quite the artist back in the day. And um, they touch on Lawler being an artist. And we see a picture that he drew of Superman. So we find out that Lawler was a really big Superman guy. And he thought he was going to grow up working in the comic industry, right? And go figure. Um, and he wanted to be an artist for DC Comics. So he really enjoyed and liked to draw Batman and Superman. And so they showed that kind of picture there of him drawing Superman, which I must say is pretty good. Um, his dad was a wrestling fan and Jerry became one as well. So he started drawing wrestlers. And then someone convinced him to send the drawings in. And sure enough, they ended up on, live on the air. Um, Jerry then got a call from Lance Russell, who asked him to do some more art. And then soon they asked him to be on the show. And Jackie Fargo, which they'll get into here, had a nightclub and wanted this, um, some art as well, basically, for his club. He became friends with Jackie Fargo, and that's really how he got his foot in the door and into the business. So it was interesting to kind of see that how art transitioned Lawler into the world of wrestling a little bit just because it kind of gave him the opening to the business. Um, Lawler at that point moved to Ohio when he was seven, and he stayed there until he was about 15. So he spent most of his childhood growing up in Ohio, which now kind of makes sense of why they sometimes feature him at some sporting events. Um, that was when he was first watched wrestling. He moved back to Memphis and he had a bunch of kids in the same age on his street, and they all watched wrestling. They were all wrestling fans. Lawler got his start by running into a guy who was looking for Jackie Fargo, ironically, at the nightclub. And before Lawler was on the radio, and he was acting as a DJ, and that helped him get his first match. There was this small promotion that ran shows in an old movie theater. Lawler lied about wrestling in Florida because he just said he kind of had it serious. And then he asked what promoter and... You know, um, that's when he knew the guy was, you know, kind of full of crap, right? Um, he was asked, he was about to walk away, but Jerry reminded him that he had a Saturday night radio show and he could plug the radio show for free. That was like gold, and the guy put Lawler in a tag team match in the main event. So Lawler ran a spot he created for the show every night for the radio. So, hey, free advertisement for the local promoter, right? And then um, from there, you know, Fargo wanted him to stop promoting that renegade promotion. And he said that he would send him to a good place to learn if he, um, he would just stop and Lawler agreed. So this kind of then transitioned into how he really started tying into Jackie Fargo. So as we said, we get a little bit into the Jackie Fargo stuff. And Austin brings up that Jackie Fargo um, and how he had a swagger and aggressive nature about him. His stuff looked good. And he had the showmanship and the strut. Lawler puts over Fargo's punches and that's where he learned how to throw one, ultimately. He puts over Fargo's ability to sell and how the fans would feel his pain. Lawler tells a story of Fargo pulling um, his straps down and then his tights to, um, to fire up the crowd, basically. So he would like kind of do the whole pulling the straps down on the singlet and getting the crowd really going. And you could see uh, Jerry doing that in his matches, if you think about it. He admits um, he stole the pulling the strap down thing from that incident and of course that we get a confession right there on the podcast and Austin asked why he didn't pull it down sooner to get that match over and Lawler laughs and he says well he gets asked that a lot but he tells the story of being sued by a female fan that was at ringside one time 
uh, she was riding him, so Lawler got tossed out in front of her, and when Dutch punched him and spit flew out of his mouth and landed on her, he had to go to court, and his um, lawyer asked then why she had issues with Lawler, and she said that because the match is over when he pulls down his strap. So the jury then laughed at her and kind of threw the case out of court, basically. So um, it's kind of funny how that kind of just transitioned into there, the fact that he got sued over or something, and then she didn't really have a good case, right? Um, they go a little bit further here. That Jackie Fargo was the king of Memphis, remember? And as soon as it was passed to Jerry, and he became the new king, Lawler says it was a story of a hometown kid making good. Memphis didn't have pro sports at the time, and he happened you know along with the king nickname by accident he kind of stumbled into that um he had a feud with fargo and cut a promo about him being the king of memphis um, for too long he won the match and the kid yelled that lawler was the king now the next show lawler ran into bobby shane who had a crown in a robe and lawler wanted to borrow it and he'd show up on memphis tv just to get a little more heat and kind of you know because he was the new king right uh shane was on the way to australia and didn't want to take all of that with him, so he let Lawler borrow it. And when Shane came back to get the crown in the row, he passed away in the plane crash, unfortunately. So, wow, you know. So, Lawler kind of, um, it kind of became this weird, perfect storm in a sense. I mean, you know, unfortunately with the passing of Shane, Bobby Shane, but then also the fact that, you know, he kind of inherited it, and the fan kind of made that. And I like that because, you know, the fans, you know, sometimes you got to play to them a little bit and see what they can give you. So, let's go to the next. Next up, they transition to a segment with the Sheik. And um, they talk about the Sheik and the Iron Sheik. So they kind of go back and forth here a little bit with this. But Austin wants to know about throwing fire. And Lawler says he got that idea from the original Sheik. Okay, so that would be the Iron Sheik's, you know, the, the one prior to him. When Lawler started, he was introduced himself to the Sheik and talked to him. And then they talked for about 15 minutes before the Sheik realized they were working against each other. The Sheik threw the fire that night but missed Jerry, and he actually hit the referee. Ouch. Um, he then talks about the flash paper and how it was like seeing a magician do his trick. Austin asked about the worst incident with the fire, and Lawler tells a time of when he was working with the Iron Sheik. And like Lawler, he was nervous about the fire, and he was about to set fire and... and basically hit the Iron Sheik in the chest, and unfortunately the paper didn't light, and the Sheik sold basically the thing by being hit by the ball of uh, paper. And that's fantastic, right? So next, a story about working with Randy Savage. We get a little bit of that, and then how Jerry had a scepter and that would have a flash paper in it, and he jammed the paper in it and accidentally set it on fire on his own face, right? It singed his nose hairs, his eyebrows, his beard, and um, it obviously, you know, scared him away from doing the fire bit for a long time after that. So it sounds like Macho Man got quite a bit there. Um, you know, that's the one thing I've I've seen them do the fire thing, but man, it just always looks like it doesn't work that great. Um, I remember an incident with Hulk Hogan doing that on the Ultimate Warrior in WCW. So you know, you know, they tell you don't play with fire. Maybe they shouldn't as well, right? We then get into a common segment here on the podcast on the Broken Skull Sessions where Steve Austin likes to throw out, hey, who were your favorites to work with? And I always like this one, right? So Austin throws out some names for Lawler to comment on. Uh, he mentions Kurt Henning, or you guys know him as Mr. Perfect. Lawler calls him awesome and discusses that their matches were, you know, Lawler won the AWA title in 1988. We see the finish of the match here then, with Kurt taking an over-the-top bump into the ring post. 
and he was always great at bumping and you know selling these moves. Lawler says that it was fun to watch Kurt in the ring because of that, and while working with him and puts him over for those bumps and those sellings. So, and I agree. I mean, he's probably one of the best in the business, right? Um, and then we get a little bit of Randy Savage, so Macho Man, right? Uh, Lawler worked with him before he ever got to the WWE, and he worked in the company, you know, for his brother and his dad, Angelo Pafalo and uh, Lanny Pafalo, right? And so his dad then was seen as an outlaw territory at the time. So soon they joined Lawler's promotion, and they had a loser leaves town match at the Rupp Arena. And it sold out 18,000 fans, and he called Savage an awesome character and a guy to work with. So we then, you know, kind of get a little macho man discussion and then it goes into uh, bill dundee and if you guys don't know a lot about bill dundee they had great chemistry together and lawler says it's because they never really liked each other so the the heat and the feel was you know there was a little bit real there lawler had a broken leg so jerry brought in bill and pushed him to the top of the card lawler came back to reclaim his spot and it annoyed bill they tried to figure out it figured out basically and believe that they worked against each other over 500 times um, one of the best ways to blow off a feud was a hair versus hair match and as it was the worst thing to happen to a guy right at the time you know nowadays they also talked and he jokes and says now most people in wrestling are bald so it's not that big of a deal but back then um, it was a big deal to you know lose your hair and it was kind of a thing of shame right um, Lawler beat Bill who got his head shaved and then the next week Bill puts his wife's hair against Lawler and everyone figured Lawler was toast but the wife ended up getting her head shaved as well so unfortunately you know for this poor guy Bill Dundee he not only lost his hair but he lost his wife's hair yikes all right we get you can't talk about Jerry Lawler without talking about Andy Kaufman right and this was a famous um a pay, you know pay-per-view or a special event I guess you could call it um, it was Andy Kaufman, a very famous comedian at the time, comedian at the time and uh, Lawler mentions uh, that Taxi was at a highest rated TV show, which he's on, and he got a call from Andy and wanted to come to Memphis to be a wrestler. Andy's entire gimmick in Hollywood came from watching wrestling as a kid, and he told Lawler he recalled Buddy Rogers trying to get people to hate him, but he liked him, and he enjoyed what he was going to do, you know, what he was about to do. Andy hated being called a comedian. And he hated doing the sitcom, and he just wanted to get on stage and make people hate him. He then uh, just wanted to do a, what he saw heel wrestlers do, and he started working with women because he didn't have to face any men. <laughs> uh, the idea didn't get over with comedy clubs so much. He pitched the idea um, to rest, basically wrestling companies, and Vince uh, Sr., Vince McMahon Sr., uh, shot, shot it down as he felt the fans would resent them for using an actor. Oh boy, what would he you know, say at uh, today's day and age of the WWE? Um, so Andy was pushed to Memphis, and Lawler jumped all over it. And we see Kaufman, the Kaufman promo right there. And then he teaches Memphis fans about soap, which uh, just was a classic. Uh, it was genius, too, at the time. So after three weeks, Lawler saw money. Um, he saw the money train taken off from the station, and he wanted to get the rub so he pitched working with Andy promised him that he wouldn't get hurt Lawler tell us us basically how he pieced the match together and everything went over with Kaufman they show clips from the match and man do I miss crowds being at those shows you know at that time when I was thinking this right and then even the small ones um, Andy then you know Kaufman was hit with multiple pile drivers and then Andy of course um, he wants an ambulance 
Lawler said to tell them, basically said to tell him no, and it cost over $300. Uh, Kaufman said that he would pay for it, and Lawler gave the okay. So it was Kaufman who put himself in traction, and it never, you know, he basically never took off the neck brace after that, right? So he really played into that and built the character. Um, the Letterman show came next, and that was Kaufman's idea, and Lawler was all over it. He said every bit of it was done on the fly, and they were told to you know, be a little heated with each other. Um, and then the second segment, they would apologize to each other. And then Andy would, you know, basically go sing at the end of the segment. Um, Lawler agreed. And then Andy called him to his room and Lawler told him that once they made up on TV and they couldn't wrestle in Memphis anymore, Andy agreed and wondered what would happen if Lawler slugged him. Lawler was worried that they wouldn't show it and that he would get arrested basically. So they went outside or they went out on the stage thinking that they were going to go with the original plan, and everything went away. When it went away, basically, it should until Andy didn't apologize. Then the segment started uh, running longer, and Letterman uh, was getting a little worried. He realized that things were going off the tracks. He was ready to pitch to another break, so Lawler just hauled off and slapped Andy in the face, right on the Tonight Show, right? And then knocking him off of his chair, Watching, uh, watching it back, Lawler says he feels like he is watching someone else in that spot. The slap was so epic, and Andy said he was going to come back and back and start cursing. Um, everyone in the studio was in shock, including Dave, um, Dave Letterman, the host. And then it seems Letterman said that it was one time where he felt like he ever he ever lost control of his overall show. Kaufman's curse um, filled tirade is fantastic and then he apologizes for it and then he goes back into cursing like a madman and it was just amazing so it just looked all over the place and i mean guys this is back in the day what you'd call a publicity stunt right this is the definition of a one of the biggest publicity stunts in wrestling history right which led to kaufman versus lawler and this whole great rivalry that you guys may have not known of because it was maybe a little before your time but if you do remember it you do remember how impactful this was to the wrestling business so we go a little bit further with um, some Andy Kaufman stuff. So years later, there was um, an actor named Jim Carrey, which we all know and love. And Jim Carrey actually wanted to play Andy Kaufman in a movie called Man on the Moon. Austin brings up the film. And of course, Jared Lawler was a part of that. And, and he was filming Man on the Moon. And Lawler's issue with Jim Carrey really was that Lawler says that the problem was with the movie was Jim Carrey really was the issue with the movie. Lawler asked the director if Carrey knew that he and Kaufman were really great friends. And the director just said, Carrey was the hundred pound gorilla he was stuck with. Um, Lawler thinks that Jim just got into it character and with, because of his method acting and he didn't really do a lot of work into getting to know Andy Kaufman. Um, Lawler was in awe being in Hollywood and seeing the sets. And as he was looking around, you know, a glass jar of juice came flying at him um, as Kerry was screaming at him. The director tried to explain that he was just method acting. And their first scene together, Jim blew him off. And then um, Jerry made the mistake of feeding Kerry a line. So it caused Jim to start screaming and it confused Lawler. And Jim came back and Lawler, you know, he was right and he forgot his line. And but then they wanted the scene to be shot because he didn't feel comfortable sitting next to this man. So they just 
didn't gel at all, really. And Jerry thinks Jim just didn't get it. So we've seen a kind of tale of two things here, right? You got Jerry Lawler, who lived the original Andy Kaufman rivalry. You got Jim Carrey, who was plugged into this thing as a studio, right? And they said, okay, great. Here you go, Jim. We like we got Jim Carrey for our movie because he's the flavor of the Hollywood right now. And I think Jerry Lawler looked at that and he said, Jim didn't respect the business when he came in here to do this with me and he didn't respect Andy Kaufman, who was his friend. So we get a little bit of history there, which I did not know myself. Let's go on. All right, we get into the WWF years. As Vince McMahon would say. Um, so Jerry um, gets a call in 1993 to join the WWF. Lawler brings up the fact that Vince was in the middle of uh, his trial. And Jerry mentions that every wrestler thinks that one time they are the best in the business. And then he says they all come from Memphis. So when Jerry got to the WWF, a lot of the guys had animosity towards him. Um, they... And there wasn't an infamous incident where someone took a dump in his crown. Oof. Yeah, I'd be annoyed at that, right? Um, he went to Vince and he said, you know, he understood it, but it, but he could go back to Memphis if needed. And Vince told him it would never happen again. And sure enough, he never had another problem. So um, he, a lot of the boys did not want him there originally, right? So Vince definitely was a fan of him and wanted him there. They discussed um, Lawler uh, being an announcer originally, or being in the match, but kind of going transitioning into announcer. And Lawler says that he never thought of doing it, and as he was only wanted to be a wrestler in his life. And then he tells the story of being at Raw and Vince looking for Randy Savage. Uh, and then this was during the Monday Night Raw Wars, and Vince was told to turn on the TV, and there was Randy on WCW TV, so he didn't even know where Randy was. And there he was going to the competitors. I think the King is getting things confused um, a little bit as Randy jumped ship at the end of 94. But, you know, this is his story, uh, which was nine months before Nitro existed. So Lawler said that Randy jumped ship without giving notice. And Vince was asked, asked Lawler to do commentary. And that's how it started, basically, is, you know, there was a need and he jumped in and tried to fill it. Uh, they showed it was November 7th, 1994 is when it happened. And that lines up with when Savage left, but it had to have lined up. It would have been like a Saturday night, right, um, where they saw Savage show up on WCW TV. So they probably seen him on Saturday and then just went to do the commentary after. All right, so then we're going to get into WrestleMania. So we're going to start talking about some of his wrestling and did – you know, Jerry Lawler ever get a WrestleMania match? Yes, he did. He got a match with Michael Cole. And, you know, he got his WrestleMania moment there with a battle of commentators, right? So Austin asked what it was like for Lawler to finally work a WrestleMania. And it was Mania uh, 27. And he said, you know, I was there for the show. And he goes, it sucks it had to be against Michael Cole, of all people. But at least the man finally got to walk the aisle at Mania. And the match was atrocious and really should have been, you know, best of Memphis wrestling with Cole, but getting murdered in the pile drivers and the fireballs. Lawler said it was, uh, it was great, but it just, he d doesn't know why it happened. So, you know, it couldn't happen so much sooner. 
Um, he seemed kind of confused about that part. Lawler won't argue with those who said that, you know, it was the worst match in Mania history. He's like, I'm not going to argue with him on that because, you know, he wasn't pleased with the match. Uh, it was kind of a mid-level comedy skit between the two in a sense. Um, he knows that it could have been better and it should have been shorter for sure. And he knows that they could have done more because Austin and Swagger were also involved. So they could have done more with those guys and getting those two, you know, kind of to back up. They discussed Vince McMahon and they discussed, you know, they got into a little bit and they discussed Vince McMahon and Lawler and Myers, the dedication as nobody works harder. And he knows that he must love it because of how much he sacrifices just to keep doing it, right? And if it was Lawler, he would buy an island somewhere and show up, you know, once a year at WrestleMania, basically. So Austin asked how Lawler feels following the heart attack, which was a very scary time in, you know, Lawler's era here, um, where he did have the heart attack on air at one of the Monday Night Rawls and had to be taken to the hospital. Lawler said that he feels great and he's had over a thousand matches since that last night. So, you know, we did get a little bit in that. I remember hearing that. I was I was a little scared for Jerry, um, and I'm glad to see he's went through and he looks like he's taking care of himself and slowed his life down a little bit and keep that heart you know pressure in place. So, um, I was glad to see that that was ended in a good story and not necessarily in a, in a bad story. So. We then go into a little bit of a better story, which is going to be the Hall of Fame story time. So we've got two sections here, Hall of Fame and then story time we'll get into. The Hall of Fame, uh, Lawler got a call from Vince, as you like to get him, and he said he didn't want to do it because he thought it meant his career was over. Well, Vince had to explain to him that it didn't mean that he was retiring. It was just pitched to him that they wanted him and JR in the same year to honor them, really, for the you know, that you could still retire and not retire. Um, William Shatner got to induct them and asked Lawler how far the teleprompter, you know, would be from where they were standing. And Lawler had to break it in to them and that they don't do that in the WWE. So Shatner then basically had to read his speech off paper and the fans started chanting, you don't know him chant, which is yikes. Right. Um, so that was one interesting thing that could have had kind of happened at the Hall of Fame, you know, because, yeah, it was a little weird that William Shatner was introducing him, you know, because they didn't really know him and they didn't really have a connection. But, hey, um, the other good news is um, WWE Storytime, and this is an episode um, on WWE's network, and they talk about stories of the wrestlers, but they draw them in cartoon animated forms. And since Lawler was a former artist, who better to have than to do this? So it was done by Mean Gene Okerlund. And since Mean Gene has unfortunately passed away, they've actually hung his fire or his picture on the fireplace on the show. And he says it's an honor to pick up where Gene finished off. Earlier today, he actually got to see where he would look like, what he would look like animated. And it's kind of sweet in that he would have a Lawler set, a photo of Gene on the fire mantle, as we mentioned, to keep the legacy going. So, And I like the fact that you got Lawler in there, and hey, I'm sure he's going to be able to get the draw himself too a little bit. So that's really full circle for Jerry Lawler since he started in the industry in the art business, and then he was able to kind of go full circle and end with something um, art-related in the wrestling business. So I really like that little catch there, and I don't know if they did that on purpose, but, you know, it was nice. All right, guys, we get into the final thoughts here as we're going to wrap up soon. And um, final thoughts on this podcast, we got uh, 
Next for Lawler is the 50th anniversary show um, for an outdoor park in September uh, to commemorate his first match in Memphis. So there's going to be a celebration for Jerry Lawler, and then he's getting ready for that. Slaughter, Luger, uh, Scott Steiner, Dory Funk, and all the others are going to be there. Um, he doesn't know who um, he will wrestle yet, but as it's been narrowed down to about 10 guys, right? So, hey, he might take them all on. Who knows? He makes sure that people know, uh, though, that it's not a send-off and it's not going to be his last match. So Austin puts over Lawler, and he says, you know, that ultimately he thanks him for coming on to the show and everything he did to help the industry. And and also JR became more famous. Um, Austin, you know, wraps up by saying that they both got a rub from it, really. And, you know, this was a great – this was great, and I want more, really. So – uh, hearing Jerry Lawler went through his career, and he highlighted it pretty effectively. They did stretch it out with a few little stories, but this was great. I kind of wanted to hear more. Um, I you know, just wanted to learn more about the, this era and this history of Memphis wrestling, right? So there are uh, files on the WWE Network. You guys can look up some Memphis wrestling stuff. But Lawler is fantastic to listen to, as we have for years on commentary. And with a uh, 50-year career, they could have talked for four hours if they wanted, still barely touched on things. The Kaufman slash Jim Carrey stories were the high points here for you guys if you were wanting to keep beat through and listen to certain parts. I also agree with Austin that Lawler, uh, Lawler doesn't give himself enough credit, and I and I hope that this makes younger fans take notice of Jerry Lawler and his like really overall accomplishments. Um, and not just a commentating guy, right, that he also did well. Um, and he would scream about puppies right in the 90s. So this is a must-watch. Like every other episode of the series, I am always a sucker for guys that just sit down and are talking about their business because we're at this age where we want to see behind the curtain. We want to just pull the curtain a little bit, and then we want to close it, and we want to watch TV and enjoy it as a fan, right? So I definitely recommend the Jerry Lawler one. Uh, it was pretty good pacing, and it, it felt like it went – about 30 minutes even though it went about an hour and 45 minutes but you know if you don't have that much time i'm glad you stuck it out here with me today on tap out talk and i just want to say thank you again and like share subscribe as always and thank you for watching and just remember guys it's not goodbye it's game over